Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, today uh, marks the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion into Ukraine. Hard to believe. February 24, 2022. The Cap and I were right on this uh, last year. And uh, this was a report is sponsored by uh, Global Threat Solutions, the 100% military veteran-owned security investigations firm. Global headquarters right here in Soviet County. Offices well in the city, Miami, L.A., overseas, Frankfurt, and uh, Mumbai. The Global Threat Solutions uh, CEO, Ken Bombay, 21 years of law enforcement intelligence experience, served as a military intelligence officer in the Middle East. company does so much uh, for peace of mind in uncertain times. GlobalThreatSolutions.com, phone call as well. It's so, so many services provided here. Uh, 646-946-6649, the aforementioned. Traveling via the water right now. We'll keep the fingers crossed for reception. Uh, it's always good having him. The Captain Ken Bombay. Sir, how are you? Great, Jay. Thanks for having me on. Uh, good, uh, good to have you. Very important day, Cap. But indeed, the one-year deal since the start of the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Um, you know, listen, uh, the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, stated that despite all of the, the hardships resulting from the war, uh, he said this is going to be a major turning point in the conflict as we get into 2020. Three, the president of the United States there just a couple of days ago, kind of a surprise visit, and into to Warsaw. Uh, we have seen a lot here. Uh, give me some impressions. Give me where we're at right now, where we're going with this. You also have the element of China uh, with uh, some sort of an alignment here with Russia, although I'm reading some reports even today that uh, China's even asking Russia to do kind of a ceasefire and all this stuff. I don't know if I believe that, but in essence, uh, give me your thought process, my friend. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right, Jay. So there's a lot going on. As you know, we, we just finished a trip, or President Biden just finished a trip to Ukraine and Poland, Eastern Europe, meeting with leaders over there. He pledged another $500 million in support to Ukraine, uh, but none of the cutting-edge weapons, no, no planes that Ukraine's been asking for were included in that donation or at least that pledge that he's made um we're at a time right now where today jay i think that ukraine is preparing for probably some increased attacks on the anniversary that could come from russia and what we're dealing with right now is basically jay is a a war of attrition you know ukraine just with the weapons and the systems and the support we've given them so far they're in a good position to not only defend ukraine but maybe regain that ground the problem is Russia is fighting a war of attrition, and you know what, Jay? They're good at that, and, and they have a lot of people, and Putin has no problem uh, throwing people uh, into a battlefield where he knows he's going to have heavy losses. Right now, Ukraine uh, itself has lost or has confirmed killed 100,000 or more people, and overall in the conflict, over 300,000. Those are huge numbers right now that we're looking at, but Putin doesn't seem to be backing off in any way right now. And then there's some some other uh, factors that need to be considered. It's a, it's a volatile time as President Biden went there and reinforced our support and, and, and met with Eastern European leaders. We also have Russia and China meeting at the same time. And their, their relationship has strengthened over the last year. And uh, that's also creates a lot of tension. Now we're, we're 
I guess, quadrupling the number, although it's still a small number, 200 soldiers. Uh, we're quadrupling the number of people we're sending to Taiwan. So this is a, a volatile situation we're sitting in just a year after this invasion when you and I first started talking about this. No doubt about it. Uh, the cap with us. It's been a year since Russian troops arrived at Ukraine's borders. Really commencing, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the biggest military offensive in Europe since World War II. It's a war that has ensued, uh, that has cost thousands of lives. We know it's left more than 13 million people without homes. Rapidly reshaped the global economy as well. Uh, really kind of ushering in a new era, era of uh, uh, uncertainty uh, for businesses, affecting the world's food and energy prices. Uh, the number is astonishing as far as the aid committed to Ukraine from this country, Cap. It's about $113 billion. That is unbelievable uh, when you think about it. Another $2 billion, by the way, set for today. Here's my concern. You know, I'm a little torn on this. I don't know how you feel. Uh, I think it's necessary, but I'm also concerned about our own military. And, of course... The entranceway of China into this uh, equation. I mean, uh, you know, to me, are we ready? In your estimation, you know better than anyone, are we ready for any possible, I hate to say it, confrontations in the next couple of years? Are we prepared? Do we have enough equipment? Uh, Are we up to speed from a a weaponry standpoint? Um, You know, I hope we are. I've read stuff where we're a little behind the eight ball. I'm I'm hoping that's not true, but if it is, you know, we've got to do a better job as far as fortifying our own needs from a military standpoint. And I think we've let our guard down in some sort of fashion. What about you? Yeah, I mean, we're on the same page, Jay. You know, the short answer is no, we're not prepared. Um, We still have, you know, I believe the most the strongest, most effective military in the world. But when you look at the threats we face now, which are greater than I've ever seen in my lifetime, with China making open threats, not only to move on Taiwan, but but to use nuclear weapons, and Vladimir Putin and Russia doing the exact same thing, uh, I think that we're we're simply not prepared. It's great for President Biden to go and, and put forth some tough talk in Eastern Europe, but we need to be able to walk the walk. And right now, Jay, I don't think we're there. We are so consumed with domestic issues in this country and constant infighting, I think that this needs to be the great unifying uh, issue that bring us together, finally, sort of like 9-11 did. I don't, I don't think people are seeing it for as serious as it really is right now. You know, we have um, this, Russia now just pulled out of, or, or what they did is actually suspended the New START Treaty. That was the last remaining nuclear pact between the U.S. and Russia. And, and to be clear, they already essentially were not participating because they weren't allowing inspectors in. But these are all bad signs. You know, these are not good things, and signs were moving directly into a very intense Cold War, uh, which we are, we're already in as we speak. And now, like I said, China and Russia are building that relationship. They've been, st- they've been not only supporting, but Russia's been sort of supporting China with discounted oil. They're, they have a strong dependency on one another right now. And this isn't good for the U.S. Um, So what I would say is we need to turn on the war machine. We need to be investing. That's where our focus needs to be. Congress, that's what they need to be focusing on right now. We have the greatest threats we've ever faced, like I said, at least in my lifetime. And I I would argue at any time because of the, the actual how serious this could get with nuclear capabilities. You know, I served in the Cold War, Jay, and the Soviet Union and the U.S., 
and the, and the uh, um, NATO and the Eastern Bloc, they moved very carefully during that time because they knew what the stakes were. They were very careful not to make mistakes. And right now, I see this as a highly volatile time, and I think that we're not nearly investing as much as we need to be in our military to be ready for it. The captain with us, the Global Threat Report, Captain Kim Bombay. Um, are you alarmed as far as uh, the disengagement uh, cap of, uh, of Russia, as far as the New Star Treaty is concerned? Pretty much suspending itself from it. I'm talking about the nuclear stuff and everything else. What does that message mean? So what I would say about that is that it's it's a little bit of it is just uh, Vladimir Putin trying to flex. And essentially, like I mentioned, they were already disengaged from it. They weren't allowing inspectors in any way, and they did not pull out of it. What they did is uh, they suspended it. And they also hinted at we are we are fully um, agreeing to to reengage with this treaty if the U.S. were to to, to um, you know move back on their policies and aggressive aggression towards Russia and Ukraine. So they, they put out hints that this is kind of a tool they're using to bring about um, uh, diplomatic measures between the U.S. and Russia. We'll see. So would I be concerned? Yeah, I mean, every one of these steps I'm concerned about. It's amazing to me that we're at a time where people are openly threatening the use of nuclear weapons. China has more nuclear weapons than we do, and they're looking to triple their arsenal. So, I mean, I think at some stage... Look what happened here, Jay. Look exactly what happened here. We saw the, the botched withdrawal in Afghanistan, and then Vladimir Putin is a very calculated individual, and he said, this is my chance. I'm going to move on Ukraine because they're not going to do anything. And all he did is throw out some threats about nuclear weapons, and what did we do? Everybody sat on the sidelines. They sat on the sidelines because of the fear of nuclear weapons. Now we're going to have a China with, with potentially three times the nuclear arsenal they have now? I mean, what are we going to do then? We're going to be in the same position. So I think the only thing that that leaders like the ones in China and Russia understand is strength. That's it. We need strength, and we need to be reinvesting. And first of all, yes, we do need to reinvest. I know it's the last thing people want to talk about, but we need to reinvest in our nuclear capabilities and also our conventional capabilities. One thing this war brought about, Jay, was we've learned that just because Russia had a much larger, more powerful army, we saw Ukraine launch an insurgency, and and the way that we're going to see modern war, warfare go, where they were able to use drones and man pads and portable weapons, and they were able to hold off a world power. And I think that's what you're going to see a lot more of. And we need to be we need to be uh, moving towards this asymmetrical type of warfare and, and building on our uh, capabilities and being prepared for what might come. And and that's what I want to see happen over the next few years. I hope it could be a unifying factor during the presidential election. Uh, so, I mean, are you buying what China has, has called for now, which is a ceasefire uh, for the two sides, peace talks to commence, part of kind of a 12-point plan to end this war? Their uh, foreign ministry revealing this plan today, Beijing time, of course, and also called for the end of Western sanctions on Russia, measures to kind of ensure nuclear facilities, Mediterranean corridors for civilians to flee the conflict in a process to ensure the continuation of grain exports. I mean, listen, even if it's true, I mean, do you really think Putin's going to go along with this stuff? Uh, well, I'll tell you, 
I'll tell you, Jay, that Putin is in a bad position. China kind of holds the cards in their relationship right now because because of all the sanctions the world has put on Russia, China continues to not only buy discounted oil, but to provide them with a lot of um, items that they can no longer get because of those sanctions in Russia. So if China holds all the cards, Putin might not have a chance. So why is China doing this? And this is just very recent development, as you mentioned. They're doing it, first of all, I think, to look like, a, uh, like they're, they're a uh, uh, world leader and they're, they're a leader on the world stage and they want to take the lead from the U.S. and they want to be the great uh, diplomatic force that comes in and brings about peace. But the other side of this is that China itself has, has challenges right now. Their economy has suffered. That extended COVID lockdowns have really hurt them. They have pop- depopulation or, or underpopulation issues going on in China over the next decade that's really going to have an impact on, on them, where they have that segment of the population that really supports everybody else that's going to be smaller than it needs to be. So they have a lot of challenges themselves. So, so I think that, um, you know, President Biden said that if they were to support, and the Pentagon said that if they were to support Russia directly with military weapons, they're going to see consequences, grave consequences. And I do think China does heed those warnings because they, they're vulnerable themselves in some ways. And I think economically right now, it might make, they don't want to be in that position that Russia is with all the economic sanctions that were put on them. So we'll, uh, we'll see, but I think that's exactly why China's moving in that direction. First of all, establish themselves as a real world player, as a leader, and also because they have their own vulnerabilities at this time. You're right. I think they definitely do heed the warnings. I guess the other aspect of this is what happens to Putin after all this is said and done, Cap? You know, from uh, the Human Rights Office of the United Nations, at least 8,000 noncombatants have been confirmed killed in this war, more than 13,000 injured. Uh, You want to couple in regarding the launched attacks against more than 250 Ukrainian hospitals over the last year, uh, leaving nearly one in 10 Ukrainian hospitals damaged, uh, according to recent analysis. And everything else, we know about the maternity wards so vividly in our heads here, what what was done there with a missile going right there. We know about the power plants that have been hit. We know about the executions on the street of innocent people, hands tied behind their back and everything else. I mean, what happens? What happens here to Putin? Does the, the war crimes and everything else, do they come into play? We've heard about this. Does it come to fruition at some point in time in your estimation? This is a, a great question, Jay, one we've been talking about since the beginning. So, listen, there's, it's, undoubtedly there's been massive war crimes committed here. The world knows it. We watch it on TV. It's not something that's going to be hard to prove. The question is, how do we hold them accountable? And, and is that going to be a part of the diplomatic um, talks to bring peace in the region? Is part of that that there's no war crime tribunals? I can't see how Ukraine's going to allow that in any type of a negotiation. So then the question is, how do we get Putin himself and his senior leaders to be held accountable? Let's say we hold a war crimes tribunal. How do we actually get them to show up to this thing? And that's not going to happen, obviously. I think the best case is that we use these crippling sanctions and continue to ostracize Russia unless those accountable are are allowed to face justice. Uh, Do I see Vladimir Putin submitting to that willingly? Never. What I would say is, like I've said from the beginning, Jay, I think that the Putin question, the best answer to that problem is going to come from the Russian people. 
when the Russian people finally are ready to hold him accountable themselves internally and, and take action against him, that's when you're going to see him held accountable. I, I don't see him being brought to justice um, in a war crime tribunal. Yes, we'll hold one and we'll find him guilty and they'll put sanctions on him. But as far as extraditing Vladimir Putin, I don't see that happening in any way. I think the best answer is going to come from the Russian people. The only way to extradite Putin is in a casket. I mean, that's really it, to put it bluntly. Uh, I don't yeah. see it any other way. I don't. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, a lot happening, one-year anniversary. Uh, before I let you go, I, I know you've been following this uh, this horrific story down in Orlando. Uh, this 19-year-old who has a rap sheet as long as where you are right now in the Long Island Sound. It is unbelievable, unbelievable how somebody of this nature is out on the streets. And to do what he did, uh, killing innocent people, a rampage, a semi-automatic in his pocket, taken down, uh, it's it's unreal to me. It really is. Uh, if this isn't the very nature of it all, of where we're at in this country, I don't know what is. And when do we wake up here? When do we wake up? That is the big question, Cap. Just an alarming story beyond proportions. Yeah. So, you know, we, we also talk about these incidents uh, so often, unfortunately. Um, you know, there, this is a question that needs to be answered. I think that everybody likes to talk when you have these incidents about gun control, and that might be part of it. That definitely might be part of it. Like, you know, um, going forward, those things can help. What I see, even in this case, is not only like we talk about with the mass shootings, Jay, where these we need to be stopping these things before they happen. That's the best strategy, is trying to identify these people and have interventions before these things take place. But in this case, this guy, you, you know, with a rap sheet like that, should he even be capable of doing this? Should he, be avail- should he be able to be doing this right now, or should he be incarcerated? And I think another thing we're going to see come from this is the procedures used by the media. You know, they... Uh, they got dangerously close to this situation, and obviously it ended up tragically. And I think that, that right now you have news outlets, media outlets around the world and the country definitely uh, rethinking how the, the procedures are going to go. I mean, is it is it worth the story to get so put somebody in a position where they're going to be in such danger like that, or are they going to have to change the protocol for that? Or, for that matter, are law enforcement agencies and governments going to have to change those protocol and put restrictions? on those on on how these uh media outlets operate because this was obviously a tragedy tragedy proportions really it's a 24 year old reporter a nine-year-old girl innocent people innocent people and a rap sheet beyond belief really rap sheet beyond belief burglaries guns everything uh with this uh, with this guy uh cap safe travels my friend great stuff we will follow things as they transpire throughout the weekend i know you will as well and uh, we look forward to having you on next week. How's that? Looking forward to it, Jay. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it all.